Welcome to Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new LA. Zocalo, which means public square in Spanish, is a nonpartisan, multi ethnic forum providing an opportunity for intellectual fellowship in Southern California. Tonight on Zocalo, can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? The ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which together make up the nation's busiest harbor complex and one of the key engines of the Southern California economy, are poised for an 18-wheel revolution. In April, they unveiled a plan to slash diesel pollution from the 16,000 trucks that haul goods to nearby rail yards and warehouses by 80%. And that's only the beginning. The plan, which still needs final approval, also seeks to upgrade conditions for truck drivers, who some say work in virtual sweatshops on wheels. But is the plan practical? Will it undermine the port's competitiveness and drive trade elsewhere? Is it just a backdoor way for the Teamsters Union to organize drivers? Key players from both sides of this battle along the waterfront, S. David Freeman, president of the L.A. Board of Harbor Commissioners, Patricia Castellanos, co-director of the Clean and Safe Ports campaign, transportation policy consultant Nancy Pfeffer, and Michael Lightman, president of Great Freight Incorporated, visit Zocalo to hash it out. Tonight's presentation, recorded live as part of the Zocalo Public Square Lecture Series at Banning's Landing Community Center, on-site at the Port in Wilmington, lays out the issues, explores the implications, and ends with questions from the audience. Here is moderator for the event, Rick Wartsman, director of the Drucker Institute at Claremont Graduate University. Thanks very much. Um, first of all, thanks to all of you for coming out tonight. It's great to see a full house, and I think it speaks to really the passion that's behind this issue for so many people. Just to lay a little bit of the backdrop, which I know many, if not most of you, are familiar with, the Clean Air Action Plan, as it's been laid out, is nothing if not bold. I think everyone would agree on that. It aims to slash diesel pollution from the 16,000 trucks that haul goods from the ports to nearby rail yards and warehouses by 80%, 80% in five years. At the same time, it seeks to beef up port security and improve working conditions for drivers. Although I've heard of late port officials using the term stabilize instead of improve. Um, either way, the proposal would literally change the face of the trucking and transport industry at the nation's busiest port complex. Some say for the better, some fear for the worse. Before we start to dive in on some of the details, and um, I suspect some of the panelists will have some things to tussle over. I want to just frame this in a, in a bit of a broader context, and I want to begin, Nancy, with you, if you can give us a sense of just the magnitude of the goods movement industry, of which trucking is, of course, just one piece, and describe what kind of stakes we're talking about here, economically as well as environmentally. Sure. Thank you very much, Rick. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here and, and provide some of this groundwork. I'm going to give you, uh, as Rick said, uh, some economic stakes and some environmental stakes. And I've pulled this information from a number of different sources. Uh, I'll try and explain as I go along where these are coming from. Sometimes they're for slightly different groups of data, different years. I'll try and tell you that as, as we change through everything. But um, I think that this uh, it helps to give kind of a, an overall perspective on, on just what we're dealing with here and the magnitude, really, of, of the trade that goes on here. And it's just great to you know, look out the windows here and really see that we're right in the heart of it. Um, starting uh, internationally, 
the combined complex of the ports of LA and Long Beach are the fifth largest in the world in terms of containerized cargo movement. And I should say also that most of the information I'm going to give you is it's nothing new. It's probably things you've all heard before, but I did want to pull together economic and environmental uh, issues in one place. Um, going nationally, the ports of LA and Long Beach are the two largest ports in the United States, also in terms of containerized cargo. In 2005, uh, these ports handled about 42% of all the containerized imports coming into the United States and about two-thirds of all the containerized cargo coming into the West Coast. So this really is the, the hub, the, the ground zero for all of that traffic. In 2007, uh, BST Associates updated a trade impact study for the ports and the Alameda Corridor Transportation Authority, and, and I'm going to cite some facts and figures uh, for 2005 data from that study because I think this is a good snapshot of what these two ports mean to the country, and it really is kind of breathtaking. The BST study showed that total trade value transiting these two ports in 2005 was $256 billion dollars. That's two and a half times as much value as in 1994. So that just gives you a sense of what the growth trend has been in the past. 94 was the first time BST did that study. Just looking at today, um, or more recent figures for 2006, this is now from LA uh, Economic Development Corporation. The total two-way trade through the LA Customs District totaled $329.4 billion in 2006. That's up more than 12% over 2005. So we're having really great increases there. Uh, Just for clarity, the Customs District also includes Port Wyneme, LAX and Ontario airports, several coastal oil terminals, and McCarran Field in Las Vegas. So that's a slightly larger group of figures there that I gave you. Note that this $329.4 billion uh, represents two-thirds of the state of California's total two-way trade value. So two-thirds of it is happening right here in, in our customs district. Now, in terms of what this means for the region, both imports and exports create four kinds of economic impact. They create jobs that we have. They create income. That's the income that people take home from having a job. They create state state and local tax revenues, sales taxes, property taxes, excise taxes, a variety of different kinds of taxes, and output, which refers to the value of production or sales that's generated by imports or exports. Exports through these ports generate more output than imports do because exports are more likely to have some manufacturing activity associated with them. Imports uh, generate distribution of retail activity, but not very much manufacturing domestically. And you can see that in the multipliers that BST calculated for each dollar of import or export value that comes through these ports. So a dollar's worth of imports through LA Long Beach generates an additional dollar twenty-three of economic output nationally. A dollar's worth of exports generates an extra two twenty-three, two dollars and twenty-three cents of output nationally. So with that background, now we're going to come back to the total national impact of that $256 billion in total 2005 trade through the two ports. It generated an additional $364 billion in economic output across the entire entire nation. And I got curious what that was as a percentage of our gross domestic product. So I calculated our gross domestic product, looked it up as about $12.5 trillion, and that $364 billion all the way across the country is about 3% of our gross domestic product. So that is a big chunk of the nation's prosperity just happening right here. Going to some of the other uh, indicators, some of the other benefits nationally, the trade through LA Long Beach generated $107.5 billion in personal income. That's the money taken home by people employed in trade-related jobs all across the US. 
the number of those jobs across the United States, 3.3 million jobs. And state and local governments across the country got tax revenues totaling $28.3 billion from our port trade in 2005. And one thing BST points out is that these economic benefits go to every single state in the nation and every congressional district in the nation. There's not one that has zero in the table when, when you look at imports and exports. Even Maine did nearly $100 million worth of business with LA and Long Beach in 2005. Hawaii close to $60 million, and Alaska, the smallest, was still $2 million. So every state benefits. Maybe you could touch on also some of the environmental, kind of the other piece. Sure. Maybe okay. we can come back, putting sure. on time to the. That's great. That's great. I have some figures on local, but I'll, I'll defer those for now. And let me talk a little bit about the environmental impacts, because those are also breathtaking in their magnitude. For this, we really go to the California Air Resources Board, uh, their Goods Movement Emission Reduction Plan published in, in 2006. And CARB uh, quantified the health effects and the costs resulting from ports and goods movement in California. And I'm just going to read out these figures because they're, they're pretty telling in themselves. Premature deaths in the state of California arising from ports and goods movement, 2,400 per year. Hospital admissions for respiratory causes, 2,000 per year. Hospital admissions for cardiovascular causes, 830 per year. Asthma and other lower respiratory symptoms, 62,000 cases per year. And to step outside the CARB report for just a minute and cite a figure that's cited by the Long Beach Alliance for Children with Asthma, in Long Beach, the rate of asthma among among children is 19.8% as compared to a national average of only 10%. So we've got twice the rate of asthma among kids in Long Beach as we do nationally. Going back to the CARB figures, acute bronchitis, 5,100 cases a year. Lost work days, 360,000 per year, minor restricted activity days, 3.9 million per year, and school absence days, 1.1 million per year. And of course, those cost school districts money as well. CARB has tried to quantify the value of these health impacts. The total comes to about $19 billion annually. That's in cost to the state economy from these health impacts. And just as one final note, CARB estimates that for every dollar invested in cleaning up pollution from freight transportation, three to eight dollars in health costs would be saved. So there's another kind of a multiplier effect to think about. It's really two sides of the ledger in a sense that mm-hmm. we're that we're talking about here. Let's sort of focus now on the trucking piece of the plan since that is the furthest along and therefore the most controversial at this point. If let me let me turn to you and you had a great line. When some of the details were unveiled this spring, you told the L.A. Times that um, you knew not everybody was going to be thrilled about them, and you said, but internal ha- eternal happiness is above my pay grade. That's certainly proven true. The, the most contentious uh, aspect of the plan, I think it's fair to say, has been the idea of having concession contracts for trucking companies working at the ports, um, and as part of that, having drivers become full-fledged employees instead of independent contractors. Can you explain, first of all, how this would work compared to the current setup, and why is it so important for drivers to be classified as employees? Well, first of all, what's remarkable is the degree of agreement with the ABCs of the program. I haven't heard a lot of serious opposition to concessions. Certainly, I haven't Listen to hundreds of people. No one's come out for dirty air. Everybody's for clean air. And, and no one's objecting to the pace at which we're trying to clean up. And no one is objecting to our efforts to tighten homeland security. Certainly anyone 
that thinks about it for more than 30 seconds is going to be worried when they realize that there are 16,000 truckers coming on the port in trucks. And all we know about them is they have a California ID, which you can get downtown L.A. most any, any day. I mean, the federal government has a system that's still on paper that hasn't been implemented yet. And we need to tighten security. And we certainly need a secure workforce. When I have the truck drivers come before me and say, you know, we really like the status quo because we come to work when we want to. Uh, You know, most of America has to come to work on Monday morning and work all week long. And we need a stable workforce. Now, the truth of, of the matter is that there is no way that the port can have direct relationships with 16,000 individual truckers. And there's no way that we can really enforce the rules that are necessary with 12 or 1,300 motor carriers, which we have out there, many of whom don't have the resources to maintain the trucks and, and certainly not to buy new trucks. We are subsidizing the acquisition of retrofits and new trucks, and our program is designed to get the job done. We're offering concessions, unlimited number of concessions, to people who will come in here and provide cleaner trucks, will agree to maintain them, uh, and will take responsibility for all the trucks in their concession. Now, you know, I'm just a plain-spoken person. When somebody tells me they want to be an independent contractor, that means that I don't have control over them. That means that they can do what they want to do, and it means that I don't know whether their truck is going to stay serving the port, whether it's going to be maintained properly, or, and whether my rules for Homeland Security will be enforced. So there's a fundamental inconsistency between people saying they want to be independent and the port's uh, duty and obligation uh, to invest lots of money into cleaner trucks and make sure that they're maintained and that they are assigned to port duty, and that the truck drivers, uh, uh, we know where they come from and who they are, and that we have a stable workforce. Now, the question of whether people are employees or not, the last time I checked, you're either an independent contractor or you're an employee. And the people who want to be independent contractors, we just can't relate to the thousands of independent folks, uh, many many, and most of whom don't have the resources to move into an era cleaner trucks. And yeah, we don't make any apologies for the fact that this may result in better working conditions. Uh, certainly there are an awful lot of people out there uh, who are breathing this dirty air and making a, a scant uh, living. And if this results in their making a bit more money, uh, I'm not going to apologize for that, but our program is designed to carry out purposes that this port has a duty to enforce. We have a duty to clean up the air. We have a duty to tighten security, and we have a duty to have a workforce uh, that is stable and committed to serving the port. Sure, the workload varies from one season to another, but that, that, that can be handled under the new system. And it's a work in progress. Our, our mind is not fixed on the details. Uh, we have an open mind, uh, but we don't have an empty mind. 
You're listening to our panel. S. David Freeman, President of the L.A. Board of Harbor Commissioners, Patricia Castellanos, Co-Director of the Clean and Safe Ports Campaign, Transportation Policy Consultant, Nancy Pfeffer, and Michael Lightman, President of Great Freight Incorporated, invited by Zocalo to answer the question, Can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? The moderator is Rick Wartzman, Director of the Drucker Institute at Claremont Graduate University. This is Zocalo. Be sure to catch our broadcast or podcast next week when we present curator Ilona Katsu speaking to Adolfo Guzman Lopez about the huge exhibit of Latin American art now installed at Los Angeles County Museum of Art. And Michael Murphy, artistic director of Red Cat Theater, in conversation with Jennifer Berry. More information is at our website, zocalola.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A.org. Now we return to the question, can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? Mike, I'm going to turn to you in one sec to respond, but I'll give you the full slate to respond to. Just, Patty, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in addition to stability and security, as far as I know, having talked to Lane about this in the past, I mean, you do see an economic justice argument here as well, that Dave may be downplaying a little bit here, but tell, tell me why, if that's important to your organization and, and why. Clean and safe ports, which basically came together to address the multiple problems that are afflicting port trucking. That includes the environmental, the negative environmental impacts on, on the communities surrounding the ports or any community that's in the path of port trucking, including communities like the City of Commerce, as well as the economic conditions that are facing port drivers. We see those two problems as inextricably linked. Um, You cannot, in our mind, it is impossible for us to continue thinking that the burden of cleaning the air for as it relates to truck, it should fall on these port drivers who, as Commissioner Freeman stated, don't have the means to do it currently. I mean, I've heard stories of truckers doing their own maintenance on their own trucks. They don't even have the wherewithal to take it somewhere to be maintained. Now we're saying we're going to have a whole fleet of new trucks that require newer technology, a higher cost of maintaining, and it's impossible to think that these drivers are going to be able to do that in the current conditions, in their current economic means. So it definitely is important for us to change the conditions of these drivers and grant them employee rights, which right now they have absolutely no rights as employees. Mike, from where you sit, now you're the company that has to deal with these well-intentioned plans. What does it mean on the ground for you? And, you know, we've talked before, I assume, as Dave said, you have no issue with the goals here, right, the end goals, but getting from here to there, talk about what that would be like for you. If I could, I'd like to back up just a little little bit. I I certainly want it known that the trucking community uh, agrees with President Commissioner Freeman on the outright goals. We want clean air. Everybody wants clean air. To put this in the proper perspective, you heard that most of us live and work here in the South Bay. My daughter lives in San Pedro. My granddaughter, two and a half years old, lives there. I work in Long Beach. We all have the dirty air. We're all breathing the dirty air, and we all like to limit that as best we can. Security for the nation. No one's, nobody wants to see a 9-11 at our piers. What seems to be missing in the overall approach, however, is the hurry to get there, but let's not 
ask the people that live and work in it, how can we fix some of this? How can we better handle the piers? Many of us that work at the harbor know of, of a great deal of vulnerability to the harbor, and certainly we want security both for the employees that are working on the docks, the, our drivers that go to the piers, and everybody that lives in the community. We don't need a tragedy here. However, the only real differences I think we have, and certainly we'll hear that on the panel, is the time and the method with which we attend to these goals that we all agree need to be met, and met as fast as is possible. But met as fast as is possible obviously always has an economic downside. I would like to give you a quick example of what we're faced with with the present proposal, even though it's moving. If someone from the city came to your home today or your apartment today and said, your furnace needs to be changed out. Uh, it's going to cost you $10,000 at spewing pollution, and we need to get it fixed, and uh, we're going to give you 90 days to get that changed. And if you can't fix it in the 90 days, uh, you're going to have to move somewhere else. And likewise, your landlord is faced with the same thing, and he's going to have to evict his tenants because he can't get that accomplished in 90 days. Well, that's where the trucking community is. I'm a pretty down-to-earth guy. None of us like to necessarily ride behind a truck on the freeway. We haven't found a better way to get our goods from A to B. So while I may be the black sheep on the Diaz tonight, I'd like to suggest that the goal is to accomplish this in a way that we continue to get the products and services we want, and at the same time, as, as fast as is humanly possible, clean the air obtain the, the, the security both for the, the employees, choice, the independent owner-operators. They're all family people as well. We don't want to turn the whole table upside down. Could I just take your analogy? We're like a guy coming up to the fellow in the apartment and offer him to buy him a damn new furnace. <laughs> and, and we want to do it right now. And, and, and do it as soon as we can get a new furnace installed. And as far as an economic downturn, we just heard the young lady describe that the ratio of health costs to the cost of cleanup is what you said, seven or eight to one. So that for every dollar we invest in cleaner air, we're saving eight bucks. So I don't, that doesn't sound like a downturn to me. I mean, if we were handing down regulations to these uh, small truckers and say, damn it, clean up or, or get lost, you'd have a point. But we're saying the opposite of that. We're going to help subsidize uh, the retrofits and the new trucks, and we're going to have a, a reasonable timetable. We're not locked into a particular... But we lives are at stake, for God's sakes. I take these health studies very, very seriously. When I came on board uh, this no-net increase task force, had a study that showed that we're going to have 3,500 uh, premature deaths if we move pollution down to the 2001 level. And I said, we can't do We can't be murderers. We have to get down to health levels. We, and our program is designed so that the port has, does not contribute to dirty air. This is the least we can do, and we need to do it as rapidly as we can. And the fact that we're raising the money to help the trucking industry get it done and reform should be to our credit. 
listening to our panel, S. David Freeman, President of the L.A. Board of Harbor Commissioners, Patricia Castellanos, Co-Director of the Clean and Safe Ports Campaign, Transportation Policy Consultant Nancy Pfeffer, and Michael Lightman, President of Great Freight Incorporated, all here to answer the question, can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? The moderator is Rick Wartsman, Director of the Drucker Institute at Claremont Graduate University. This is Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A. Our final summer event takes place on August 28th in the beautiful BP Hall at the Walt Disney Concert Hall. Zocalo and the Music Center present the writer and MacArthur Genius Award recipient Alma Guillermo Prieto with How to Be Mexican, a musical instructional manual. And on September 11th, internationally renowned author James Elroy presents L.A. Come on Vacation, Go Home on Probation at the Los Angeles Central Library. Zocalo events are always free, but reservations are required. To reserve your seats and download podcasts, go to ZocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. In a moment, we return to the question, can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? Stay tuned to Zocalo. Coverage of public policy issues on 89.3 KPCC is made possible in part by the John Randolph Haynes and Dora Haynes Foundation. Hi, this is Larry Mantle inviting you to join me for the next edition of Air Talk here on 89.3 KPCC. We come your way weekday mornings at 10. And next time we'll be talking about government corruption. And what kind of oversight exists or is lacking in determining whether employees are taking kickbacks or accepting bribes? We'll talk with L.A. City Controller Laura Chick and others on that topic, as well as the federal government's looming crackdown on illegal immigration on AirTalk. Welcome back to Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A., We now return to our guests, S. David Freeman, Patricia Castellanos, Nancy Pfeffer, and Michael Lightman, discussing the question, can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? Moderated by Rick Wartsman. Mike, let me just turn back to you for a minute, because I want to make sure I I understand something. The the concession arrangement in and of itself, and again, the, the turning from independent contract to employee, how big an issue is that per se, because are you focused on the time frame? That is, it's, all this is going to be implemented too quickly? So that is to say, if it were, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I heard was a focus on kind of the schedule, how this, this being rolled out in your mind in too short a time frame. Or is it fundamentally the program? And if not that, is there an alternative? What, what would you propose as a basic framework? Why? Well, I... I'd- I want to hit the first part. Certainly the time frame is a difficult one, and it's a laudable one. But if we make too many mistakes on the way to achieving January 1st or March 1st or whatever the short-term goal is, if, if we hurt the, the churning of our economy by eliminating owner-operators, we're not going to have drivers there to pick up the cans. Let me just focus this way. If, if you're an immigrant or if you're just 
a lower-income person that decided to hustle when you were young or middle-aged, whatever it might be, and you worked your buns off to save $1,000 to get a truck so that you now have a tool. You have a tool with which to go to work. You don't have to sweep the floor. You don't have to carry the boxes in the warehouse. You have a tool that you can work and make additional money. And now somebody wants to take that tool away from you and turn you back into a laborer for the opportunity to make less money than you're making now, I don't think you're going to be standing there in January or February when the port locks you out. Uh, I believe that we are going to have a tremendous turmoil because I don't think these drivers are going to sell their trucks to my company or any other company and decide to be a laborer come January 1st because they're, they're going to get some new truck that they're going to get to ride in. They enjoy uh, night work. They enjoy weekend work to make what they need to have. I have drivers. I looked at my payout for last week. I had uh, 30 drivers that I paid. They grossed $1,743 a piece average, they t which means after you take away the fuel and the insurance and their expenses, they took home eleven dollars or $1,200, give or take. That stock will be replaced by a wage earner. Now, there are people that don't hustle as hard as some of my drivers, and they're certainly entitled to be a wage earner, to have an employee job and get them. They're available. They go wanting for applicants. That's not to negate the problems that the commissioner spoke of. We still need to control these 16,000 drivers. We still need to control the companies. We need to be able to enforce the standards. This is the hard part. We agree on so many things, it's the implementation that we don't necessarily agree on. And I think with enough time at the table with truckers, we may be able to put forth uh, a good plan or join with the uh, ARP's plan and accomplish the goals that we need to accomplish here. Well, let's just get the record straight. There is nothing in our plan that in any way prevents a truck driver from owning their own truck. There are a lot of people that own their own employees, and there's nothing in our program that says that the truck driver can't own their own truck. It's just that we have to have a concession owner that is legally responsible for everyone in his concession. And, and uh, in terms of how they're paid, there's nothing in our program that says they have to be paid by the hour. Uh, they can be paid by the load. Uh, we, are, we just need to get control over this situation so we can enforce the clean air rules and enforce the homeland security rules. And as far as listening to truck drivers, I probably heard from more truck drivers in the last six weeks uh, than anybody in the state of California. Uh, they've, been, they've been coming to our meetings, and they've been speaking up, and we've been listening very carefully to each and every one of them, and I've been reading an awful lot of letters. And we announced this program way back in October, and the trucking industry has had a huge input. And, frankly, we haven't decided on these details yet. As I said, our minds are not empty, but they're open. Patty, did you want to speak a little bit to, I think, some of the conditions? Is that... Mike, I understand you said immigrant workers looking for a job, looking to get ahead. 
And as far as I know, in our current economy, immigrant workers are attracted or fall into, because of lack of any other choices, into low-paid service sector jobs. And I think this is another case where you have an enormous uh, high volume, a high percentage of low-wage, well, in this case, they're not making wages, they're not wage earners, but immigrant workers that are not making a decent living. And, you know, I appreciate that there are some drivers, which I would say are few or far between, that work their butts off and do well. I come across drivers all the time who work their butts off, who work night and day, and still come out at the end of the day with something comparable to $8 an hour. I mean, you know, I'm looking right now at some of the numbers, and, you know, we have a driver... Israel, who after makes $8,000 a month, but after you take away his gas expenses, the, his payment on the truck, which totals $2,100 a month just to pay the truck. We're talking about $2,800 in fuel. The Gateway City studies actually cited that $25,000 a year on average is spent on just fuel alone. So even though the average gross is somewhere around seventy dollars or $75,000 a year, $25,000 of that just automatically is spent on, on, on fuel. And so... That netted it, out to what, like $25,000 a year or something? $29,000 in that study. Cities averaged, or what, what they cited as an average for workers, $29,000, not including medical benefits, not including workers' comp, not including pension, not including Social Security. So there are a lot of costs. Not including on, because they typically don't have those benefits. And as far as I know, in the Gateway City study, again, they, uh, I think zero was the number of independent owner operators that received health insurance. And so... Do they have a tool? Absolutely. The drivers I've spoken to will give it up in a heartbeat if they could make a decent wage and if they could spend more time with their families. Let me ask to, to Dave and Patty, that said, and Nancy, I'd be curious your thoughts on this. Will this, though, do you anticipate some amount of disruption just in a changeover like this? And will almost any big economic change always, one thing we can count on is going to bring things that maybe none of us can anticipate sitting up here. And just the sheer disruption, the drivers of those 16,000 trucks, I think you know, a good point Mike made is that you can expect a certain amount of churn, people who do have livelihoods now maybe not to find their way back to be working for those with concessions and so on. What kind of negative impact, just even in the short term, the transition do you anticipate and how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, we're going to be sending requests for proposals out. And until we get responses to that, we're keeping all of our options open. Our primary responsibility is to clean the air and keep the goods moving, and we're not going to implement a program that uh, deliberately results in uh, congestion and shortages. We have complete control over the pace of the program and the ultimate details. But what I can't get through my thick head and what none of these truck drivers have been able to persuade me and how somebody can be independent and still uh, be responsible to the port so that we can implement these rules. That's the dilemma we have. Let's just be very clear. These ports are not going to be able to grow the business unless we clean up the air. The citizens of San Pedro and Wilmington have done all the sacrificing that they are going to do. 
It's my understanding that TWIC is going to come whether the ports pass this clean trucks can you, program or can not. Can you translate? I'm sorry. The transportation worker identification credential, which will be, as I believe, enforced and imposed on all port workers, including port truckers. And it has certain requirements of workers at the port, including criminal background checks. There will um, also be citizenship requirements, and I don't know all the details, but I believe they need to have a a green card, or in fact, I I believe even some with temporary work visas won't be able to, under the current system, be eligible for the TWIC. They'll they'll need to appeal it. And so my understanding is that 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 will be enforced regardless of what the ports does on port trucking, and are we concerned? Absolutely. I did want to just touch on costs for a minute. Any concerns, Mike, that you have about the current cost structure as you understand it. This is, I believe, it's they're talking about a $1.8 billion price tag to replace and retrofit the trucks. Dave has generously said it's like the guy coming to offer to replace your furnace and, and hand it over. Are there any concerns that you have if, if he's giving you the furnace? Well, if he gives you the furnace with the, the right and the privilege for him to tell you when he can turn it on, when he can turn it off, he's going to tax it going to take 10% of the heat and move it over somewhere else, then other than that, no, I don't have any problem with that. You know? uh, Most people are overheated anyhow. <laughs> I rest my case. Um, in, in, terms of, in terms of the overall economics, I think, candidly, what everybody that's involved in the, the ports is, is concerned about is not knowing how and when and what the change will be. We're all pretty panicked because we all feel like we're going to get rolled over by the steamroller that Dave is, is rolling pretty hard. And uh, if we can work together cooperatively, I think we can survive it. But what is really going to happen is it's going to cost more to ship freight. And that cost is going to go into clean air, security, and a stable for- workforce. And that's wonderful, isn't it? I agree with you wholeheartedly. But the problem, the problem that... An, a businessman like myself has, is if my rates can't go up until way after the expenses go up, I'm not there for the end result, be it clean air or a business that's alive. We don't know that these are going to go in tandem consistently over the next five years. I've already lost the opportunity for my lease where I'm presently a leaseholder in, in Long Beach because I don't know what the future is. Drivers right now don't dare buy a truck of any year because they don't know what they're going to be able to do with that truck. Those are arguments for getting this program going sooner. I don't disagree. Let's meet and confer and put something together we can all live with and get it done. Amen. You're listening to our panel... S. David Freeman, President of the L.A. Board of Harbor Commissioners, Patricia Castellanos, Co-Director of the Clean and Safe Ports Campaign, Transportation Policy Consultant Nancy Pfeffer, and Michael Lightman, President of Great Freight Incorporated, who have been invited by Zocalo to answer the question, can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? The moderator is Rick Wartsman, Director of the Drucker Institute at Claremont Graduate University. This is Zocalo a cultural forum for the new L.A. In a moment, our audience asks the questions. Stay tuned to Zocalo.
89.3 KPCC is now broadcasting in HD digital stereo. With a new HD radio receiver, you can listen to our main service and two alternative channels, BBC Mundo, the Spanish language news service of the BBC, and the current adult alternative music from Minnesota Public Radio. For more information on HD radio, please visit kpcc.org. Next time on Day to Day. Think thoroughly about civilians, about damages. Afghanistan's President Karzai meets with President Bush. An Afghan diplomat tells us they're worried about all the civilian deaths in the fighting there. It's important for our government as well as our partners to win the war for heart and mind. Afghanistan's other war next time on Day to Day. Weekday mornings at 9 on 89.3 KPCC. Welcome back to Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A. Tonight, Zocalo has posed the question, can the ports clean the air without choking the economy? Now it's the audience's turn to ask questions of our panel. S. David Freeman, president of the L.A. Board of Harbor Commissioners. Patricia Castellanos, co-director of the Clean and Safe Ports Campaign. Transportation policy consultant, Nancy Pfeffer. And Michael Lightman, president of Great Freight Incorporated. My question is, have we thought about, really, in reality, how this is going to affect minority families and single parents that, you know, are independent operators right now and choose the time they can work and be with their children? I think it's going to improve their standard of living. That's how it's going to affect them. Mike, did you want to Yeah, I think they're going to have fewer options. When I was a youngster, I, I obtained a position as a laborer on a construction site only to be told I could only work 80, you know, 40 hours at, uh, I forget what it was, two bucks an hour or something, and I needed more money than that, and I offered to come back and work on Saturdays as essentially somebody different cleaning up the houses. I wasn't allowed to do that. As a result, I couldn't make the money I needed to make. I have drivers right now that have 23 and $2,700 a month mortgage payments. They're going to lose their house if this goes through. They will lose their house. There's no way that they're going to make a wage on an hourly basis to cover that mortgage. Their house is gone. Their family's moving. God knows where. Could I just comment? David Beckham is an employee. My name is Jesse Marquez. I'm Executive Director, Coalition for a Safe Environment. We're headquartered here in Wilmington. We're an environmental justice organization. We have serious problems. Nancy mentioned the asthma rate in Long Beach as being 19% point something. In Wilmington, it's 23.4% asthma rate of children. Six people die every day here in the Los Angeles Long Beach Harbor area. We need to address the health issues. We need to address the environmental issues. What else can we do to support the Clean Air Action Plan and the Clean Truck Program? Well, I'll, I'll respond if nobody else wants to. I mean, what you can do is be informed. Attend meetings like this, get all the information you can, form an opinion, and then be proactive. That's what you should do. That's, we're all citizens. We all have an opinion. Express it. I don't necessarily agree with everything about the Clean Air Action Plan, as you can tell. But what we all agree with is what the gentleman said, we need to clean up the air. 
and we for darn sure need to have some security at the piers. That's without a doubt. And so, please, be active. Whatever side you're on, be active. I agree with him. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's two things. My name is Felipe Lopez, resident of Long Beach, uh, 13 years uh, sport driver. The question for Mike, what has the uh, trucking industry done for the, for the, to clean the air for the last 27 years? You say that you are for clean air, but you're not offering anything to, to actually clean the air to save the lives of the kids. If I, okay, the response to that is I'm offering to do as much as I can to get, in, get involved, to get involved, to try and help put forth a plan that we all can live with. I'm not interested in bankrupting my company. I don't think that furthers the goals of any of us. However, what, what has the trucking community done over the last 27 years, I think, was your, your statement. We buy the trucks that the government makes available through all the regulations that they put forth. We use the fuels that they put forth to put in those trucks. The California Trucking Association was very instrumental in getting low sulfur, ultra-low sulfur fuels available to put in the trucks to lower the emis emissions, to lower the particulate. This is not all on the back of trucks, all the pollution. We're, we're, we're a significant but smaller piece of the pie here in the harbor, but significant. I'm not trying to dodge that word. What we can do is, is figure out how not to turn the table upside down and have these ships from the harbor all the way down to Dana Point come January 1st. We've got to have a plan that will work, and I think Mr. Freeman has said the same thing. That's the goal. We just can't pull the rug on everything. But going after clean air, without a doubt, without a doubt. If I could just add this, I don't think it's the truckers' fault. I don't find fault with the Trucking Association or the truckers. They are, they've obeyed the regulations, as weak and meek as they may be, that the uh, California Air Resources Board has, has said and that the ports in the past have not said. So let's just be clear where the responsibility is. The responsibility is of government to govern, and I don't have any uh, problems with the Trucking Association uh, in the past or even at present. We're working together. We'll work this out. I think the question also does come down, and, and President Freeman alluded to this responsibility of government. There needs to be some responsibility on the trucking companies as well to address this issue. Um, and, you know, I understand that the, the standards have been very weak, and we're now asking them to step up to the plate and meet higher standards. We're also asking companies to take responsibility for these trucks, take responsibility for the drivers that drive them. And again, right now, who's paying the cost of all of this is the drivers in communities. And this is by no means a, a perfect industry. And it's not just the communities in the harbor that are suffering, but communities along the transport corridors. And I think the City of Commerce, in a recent health, health risk assessment done by CARB of the railways, attributes 40% of the health, health risks of cancer to port drayage. And so that's, it's not been an effective system, and it's run over everything that stood in its way and communities have suffered and the question, I mean, now yes, this does need to be put on its head communities can no longer pay this high price for, for this industry and neither can the drivers 
Hi, uh, Commissioner Freeman. Uh, the ports are going to spend millions of taxpayer dollars in clean trucks. Not taxpayer dollars. We don't okay. spend a nickel of taxpayer dollars. Okay. Let's just be clear on that. Okay. So Our revenues come from the shipping industry. Okay. Okay, so given that there's going to be a large outlay of money in the beginning, don't we need the strongest possible clean trucks program that utilizes the, the cleanest technology available to protect that investment, um, especially if we're going to – the ports are going to live up to their promise for economic growth at the ports that you spoke of earlier? I agree completely. We ought to be employing the best available technology, and uh, an amendment to our Clean Air Act to that effect will come up the next time we have a – joint meeting. But in the meantime, uh, we're trying to make more cleaner technology available. And I don't know whether you're aware of the fact that the port of Los Angeles, on its own initiative with South Coast, is developing an an all-electric towage truck uh, that will move goods the shorter distance from the port to the near-dock facilities that will be without noise and without pollution. And we are fairly confident that within the next few months, We'll have a prototype we can demonstrate. So we're not just sitting back and accepting the status quo. We're trying to develop cleaner technology. We put $3 million into a hybrid tugboat so that it would be much cleaner and more efficient so that we have got to continue to raise the bar and and require people to utilize uh, the cleanest that is available. Thank you for the question. Good evening. Uh, My name is Salvador Abrica. I'm a resident of Wilmington, California. I've been a port driver before for five years, and I understand that there's a big problem here. But my question is for Michael Lehman, Lightman, right? Yes, sir. The question is this. Are you you saying that the CTA and the the industry is scared of of, of employing drivers? And it's a two-part question. That's the number one. And number two was the, the fact that how long do you, do you expect the, the taxpayers to flip that bill for the workers' comp that is not being paid on a steady basis? Okay. Uh, first part of your question was, are the trucking associations afraid of employees as opposed to owner-operators? No, they're not afraid of employees. A substantial portion of the trucking companies have either employees or independent owner-operators. Many of them have both particularly throughout the state of California. So it's, it's not that that's the issue of we don't want employees. The issue is we want to have a choice as opposed to someone saying every owner-operator must now be an employee at a 20% a year uh, turnover rate, 10% a year turnover rate, or any rate. If somebody wants to be an independent owner-operator and live the American dream, by God, let them. That's how we all rise up here. In in terms of the issue of workers' compensation, there's no reason that drivers, be them independent owner-operators, can't get insurance for that. I had insurance for my drivers. All of them had a policy of of disability policy, and for one reason or another, they chose to uh, dispense with it. I, you know, that's the most you can do. You can lead the horse to water. You can't make them drink. Rick, if I just may, uh, just go ahead, Patty, quickly, um, and. get to the point that that Michael made, but also to the question that was raised earlier about what the impact is going to be on um, minority truckers and single women, single mothers who might be truckers. And as Michael pointed out, there are both employee and independent owner-operators working the ports right now, employees not in great percentages. However, again, citing a, a recent study by Gateway Cities, they found that in the current system, 
such that it is, employees make 35% more than independent owner operators. And I said this before, and so, you know, again, this is a documented study that back of the envelope calculation that translates to $140 million of income into the communities where these drivers work. And we all, I think, know which communities these drivers work in Wilmington or live in Wilmington, some San Pedro, but South LA, all poverty, high poverty areas. And so that, that does translate to a huge economic benefit for those communities. Good evening. Colleen Callahan with the American Lung Association in California. wanted to thank all the panelists for the important and lively discussion today. My question is for Mr. Lightman. And my understanding is that money is pouring into the maritime industry except in harbor trucking. So if this is the case, there seems to be some issue, some problem that needs to be resolved. And wouldn't the clean trucking program help to attract both private capital and reach our shared goal of cleaner air? At the risk, I missed the first part. But in terms of enticing private money into the transition into retrofitting trucks and getting new trucks, uh, with a concession plan that's presently described as a year-by-year concession plan, there's no hope of getting private money unless you're going to finance it within a year. No one's going to lend you money not knowing where you're going to employ that truck the following year. So, you know. Private money's out. That's the first part of the question. I'm sorry I didn't hear. Commissioner Freeman, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, didn't, I guess it's an interpretation of the, of the plan. I didn't read it as a year-by-year contract. In fact, I think it was a, a longer five-year contract to, to be renewed. But in any case, and it's not in, yeah, it's an investment in the trucks. And, yeah, I think it, it's a huge opportunity to level the playing field for trucking companies and be able to attract the kind of money that will allow you to grow successfully. It, it, it's a five-year concession, but the details are all subject to revision on the basis of thoughtful comments from anyone. So we haven't adopted the plan yet, and the whole purpose of this discussion and all the hearings that we have is to get input, and uh, believe me, we are listening. Hello, my name is Arturo Loza. I'm here to, I have got a two-part question. Commissioner, I have a question as far as, uh, first of all, I want to comment that everything I've read about the truck program is an excellent program. It's a good start. Everything I've read, but we need more. And also, I, I need to ask you, Commissioner, what are the ports doing to go even further than that, on, on beyond the trucks? Because we need to go beyond the trucks. It's not just you're, about the trucks. You're entirely correct, and I appreciate the question. We are looking very hard at... 21st century type railroads like maglev and uh, module and things that are akin to a modern uh, monorail for systems that would take the containers throughout the inland empire that is our next step after we clean up the trucks if we're going to double the business or triple the business the growth has to be virtually without pollution Also, this country is heavily dependent on imported oil, and we cannot continue in the 21st century uh, dependent on uh, fuel uh, from the Iraqis and the Saudi Arabians and the Iranians who hate us. So we've got a program that we're putting together to take green electricity and use it in modern transportation like maglev or monorails to move the containers. There'll still be a need for all these trucks. We're talking about doubling this business over the next decade or so, or maybe even tripling it. So we, we, are, we are in the planning stage for a rail system that is run by electricity to supplement uh, what we have. 
And of course, the, the electric truck that we're developing for the short haul is, looks like it's going to work. Our technology program is just as important as the program to implement the technology we have now, because the technology we have right now is not going not gonna to do it for us over the next uh, 20 years. You're entirely correct, and I really appreciate the question. Hi, I'm Bob Gelfand. I'm a San Pedro resident. Good evening, Mr. Freeman. I have a question that I've been asking for five years, and I've never actually gotten a straight answer. I've asked at Harbor Commission meetings and subcommittee meetings and so on. And I'll phrase it sort of like this, because I think that's important to this argument. Let's suppose you've got a container that comes off a ship and it's got 40,000 pounds of plasma TVs or Nintendos or whatever the latest thing is. It's worth a million dollars or two million dollars. What does the trucker get paid to haul that container off the dock and to the nearest distribution center like in downtown? Because the story, if I understand, is that they don't get paid very much. The point is there's not enough aggregate income in the trucking community. So, no, the, 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 the point is that if the port can effectively enforce higher payments by the shipping companies, let the shipping companies be annoyed, but isn't it true that then this will reduce the externalities of sickness? Well, I think the, the problem with your rather elegant solution is it's illegal as hell. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, we can't what's new with the plan we have? No. We, we, we cannot directly set prices. Uh, we cannot directly fix the price of transportation. That's what he's suggesting we do, and we just can't do it. So, Bob, your, your assessment's correct. Right now, the trucking industry, as I understand it, has absolutely no neg- negotiating power with uh, the Walmarts, et cetera, of the world. So, yeah, they are getting crushed by the shippers, and it's my understanding that drayage cost is 2% of 1% of overall cost of, of, of bringing in imports. I think this provides an opportunity, again, to level the playing field, internalize, and make sure that all companies are internalizing costs that right now are being externalized to the public and that they're being able to externalize and put onto the drivers. Right. On that note, please give a hearty round of applause for our panelists. Thanks to our panelists. You've been listening to S. David Freeman, Patricia Castellanos, Nancy Pfeffer, and Michael Lightman in a discussion moderated by Rick Wartsman. This is Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A. Zocalo's radio broadcast is sponsored by 89.3 KPCC. Zocalo Radio is supported by a generous grant from the James Irvine Foundation and by the California Endowment. For information on upcoming Zocalo events and to download past radio programs, visit ZocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G. The executive producer for Zocalo Radio is Peter Stenshold. Douglas Gary is our engineer. I'm Claudia Vasquez. Thanks for listening. The French have a word for it, the local conditions that make their wine so special. Terroir is weather and the soil. Many people say the terroir is the soil. No, it is the combination.